What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the After Effect Podcast. I am your host, LeBron Stephan, but you can call me B-Ron, Brian, Brian, LBZ, L Boogie, LB. Welcome to episode 36. We have a very, very special guest. <clears throat> Jawad Williams is on the show today. Literally a Cleveland legend and trailblazer. Went to St. Edward High School, was in 2001. Went to North Carolina from 2001 to 2005. Was an NCAA champion in 2005. Went to the 2005 NFL draft. Um, played with the Cavs from 2008 to 2010. And is actually still playing right now. I think it's, this is year 15 or 16 for him. Playing overseas in Japan. Honored and blessed to have him on the show. So just waiting for and we will go in. How you been? I'm good, man. Grinding as usual. What's oh yeah. Hey, I, I can't call it, man. I appreciate you calling out the time. I know you're super busy. Man, I'm good. It's 11 o'clock at night, so I'm straight. Winding <laughs> down for the night. Oh yeah, I already know, man. So like I was trying to tell you, um, I started this podcast about six months ago because I feel like as athletes, we all have a after effect, an aftershock of our careers. And this is kind of just a platform for us to kind of relive our journey, uh, but more so kind of try to push the culture forward, kind of telling our stories as far as what we feel like we messed up on or, you know, what we feel like we experienced as far as racism or politics. Uh, just try to, you know, push the culture forward and make sure that the next culture don't, don't make the, whatever mistakes we made. Yeah, I got you. I'm with it, man. I've been following, I've been paying attention to the interviews. I like them. I like oh, it. I like oh, it. Man, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. I know, I know, I'm uh, a little younger than you, and I'm, you know, I'm done playing, and you're, you're still actively playing. But I just know when I decided to hang hang the cleats up as far as football is concerned. Uh, you know, it took me a while to kind of get over my whole career. I just, I, you know, I think I was a bit too hard on myself. I felt like I underachieved and all those things just from seeing guys like you and Pierre Woods and LeBron James and being from Cleveland. I really, just wanted to put on. Um, when it was over for me, you know, it, it took me like almost a year to kind of identify what I was passionate about outside of sports and kind of reinvent myself. But it took me a while. So I kind of wanted to just kind of share share the light on that. Got you. I got you. I feel you. I've I, I heard that story before, man. That's yeah. why I'm in year 16. <laughs> yeah. I ain't trying to walk away until I know I'm ready to walk away. You know right, I mean? right, 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 right. On your, on, on your own terms. Uh, yeah. Before I dive into your childhood, man, let's just talk a couple current events. Um, you know, I know you still actively playing, so I know I know you got your ears to the uh, you know the climate of basketball right now. I know it's early. You know, we we'll, we'll, the season doesn't start till December twenty second. But who do you think will win the NBA championship this year, and why? The Lakers. I mean, they got Brown on their team. Man. You got LeBron James on your team. You automatically uh, a contender. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, see yeah. nobody beating them, man. And as good as they were last year, their roster got better. That's crazy. Man, I know. That's I crazy know. to think about. They got better. Like, they're going to be tough, man. They're going to be real tough to beat. It's, it's, and I, I, I'm so excited to get your perspective because I know, like you said, you year 16, Brian year 18. Like, is it, is, does it trip you out to see him, like, still do, like, what he does now? I think he's tur he turns 36 in a couple of weeks. But, yeah. you know, I, I know you, got, you all got a good relationship. You all have been tight since high school. Does it trip you out to see that he's literally damn near getting better as he gets older? <laughs> I think he's getting better. I think he's getting better, man, because as you get older and you get more experience, everything slows down for you. Right. Like you see the game two and three steps ahead. So like he was already ahead of his ahead of his time as far as his basketball IQ. Exactly. And now he's getting even more experience. So now it's he just 
taking his time and picking things apart. You can't. Man, it's, it's so he's it's, been doing. Yeah, what he's been doing for so long, you can't teach, and now he's gotten better at that. Like that's crazy. Yeah, he the game literally just looks easy to him, and it's crazy because. I, rem- I remember, you know, as a, like a nine, 10 year old going to his games, going to your games and just to see both of you all still playing. It's just, it's trippy. It's trippy to me, honestly. <laughs> and for me, dog, like, honestly, I set, I set a goal for myself early. Like mm-hmm. I told myself, no matter what happens, I'm playing time 40 and I'm yeah. playing wherever the ball is bouncing. You know, like <laughs> yeah. a lot of guys have a problem going overseas. I never yeah. had that issue. Yeah. Because I, I look at it like I still make a great living. I still exactly. do what I love to do. Exactly. And I, my family gets to travel the world on somebody else's dime. You can't exactly. beat that. Man, I'm, I'm you telling you, and, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm big on travels as well. And like you said, I think a lot of guys just aren't op- like they don't open their mind up to the to the to the aspect of wanting to travel the world and see different cultures and, and understand different cultures. And so, was that instilled at you at a under at a younger age? Like, where did you get that kind of longing and wanting to be okay with traveling the world, taking in different cultures? Because you know, a lot of guys that come from we that come from where we from, you know, they 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 want to be in like a normal environment. They don't want to be uncomfortable in a different environment where they don't understand the culture or they don't understand the language. So, kind of kind of where, where did that come from for you? I honestly don't know, man. To be honest with you, I had this conversation with somebody recently, and I was telling them how growing up. I never left St. Clair unless yeah. I was going to school when I was going to St. Ed's. Yeah. Other than that, I didn't feel comfortable leaving St. Clair. Like, yeah. I didn't go to the Heights to party. I didn't go to Shaker <laughs> to talk to no girls. I was on St. Clair. Yeah. Like, that yeah. was my comfort zone. So right. then one time the opportunity got presented to me to go play for the USA team okay. uh, when I was in high school. It was either go to my graduation or go to go to play in, uh, in France for the USA team. Yeah. I had never been out of the country. And I was like... I'm going. Yeah. My mother, I, I actually got, got on the plane to go to France with like $200, dog. And man. just figured it out when I got out there. Just we ended up winning the gold and everything. And ever since then, it was like, man, I've been, I, and this is before, you know, this is way before iPhones and translation yeah, yeah. and all that. that that's so probably, that's there. probably when the, when the internet was just. <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah. this dial up was just coming about, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I figured it out. And then after that, I was like, man, if I had to do this for a living, I mean, it is what it is. I can figure yeah. it out. Oh, man, de- definitely. And that's and that's such a great experience, you know, for you uh, being a young guy as well. So that's, you know, I, I, I know I know that's an experience you would never be able to, you know, forget. Yeah, man. We was out there for a week in a city called Douai in France. And then we got okay. a couple of days in between tournament, in between the tournament or something like that. And we went out. Uh, went to Paris. That was the first time I had been to the Eiffel Tower, and this is stuff wow. you only read about in books. Now I'm telling and you, I'm out there. I'm out there living it up. We yeah. laying on the ground with the disposable cameras, taking pictures of the Eiffel Tower. You know? <laughs> right, right. And I, I, man, I hope that you still got all those pictures because those, those. I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, hey, yeah. That team, like some of the notable guys on that team, Carmelo was on that team, and yeah, uh, Sheldon yeah. Williams. Okay, yeah, I re- yeah, I, I remember them, and uh, it's funny that you say Paris. So, do you feel like that 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 was where the idea came from for your children's book? That kind of, uh, you know, were you telling stories involving your kids from you know traveling Paris and traveling Tokyo? Is that kind of what what planted that seed for that idea? No, no, that just came about because I actually played in Paris after okay. long after when I left the Cavs. Um, my next stop was Paris. I signed a, I played in Paris for three years. My my daughter was 
born and raised in Paris. Well, no, okay. I'm sorry. She was raised in Paris, pretty much. She was born okay. in Cleveland and raised in Paris. Okay. And, um, you know, just all the pictures we had. And I was like, I need to document this somehow. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And I was, I actually, like, it was like a God-given talent, I guess. It's just something I realized I couldn't let go to waste. I'm good at writing my thoughts down. Okay. So I started writing things down and um, it just turned into a children's book. I was like, let me give them something that they'll always remember right. that they can share with other kids. And on right. top of that, uh, it's another source of income for them. Exactly. So they'll always be able to have this, this income coming in later when these books continue to sell way exactly. when I'm gone. You know what I'm saying? So exactly. that, that, was, that was big. Man, I, I, felt, I, I felt like that was so smart and you know strategic so like when you when you first came out with it years ago i I understood the whole the whole thought process i just think i I had it because i feel like you know where we come from it's not a lot of like i feel like it wasn't really cool well i can only talk about my my father my ogs my father from kinsman but i feel like we didn't grow up like that we didn't like i never saw my father writing or journaling or writing on his thoughts or really good with his words he more so just was a real tough like hard nosed dude. So uh to see to see you had the courage enough to be able to do that and you know pass that to your kids and, and start an income for them at such a young age. I was so inspired by that. Yeah, I feel you because I didn't grow up in a household where I seen people picking up books and all that other stuff, but I was always fascinated with history. So I fell in love with history and I started reading books. Yeah. And then I started just opening up my mind to different things, financial literacy and everything mm-hmm. else. And I was like, I can write, let me make a book. That'll mm-hmm. bring in extra income. I can pass this down to my kids. Mm-hmm. It was a whole thought process. And then when the pandemic hit, I had time on my hands. No, yeah. I, what happened first, I got hurt. I okay. tore my Achilles and uh, I had time on my hands. I was like, let me go ahead and bang these books out. Yeah. Literally, if people think these books took years for me to generate it, man, I probably got them done within a couple of days. Yeah. Like literally, I just sit there. Then the longest process is getting it illustrated. Mm-hmm, but other than mm-hmm. that, I just sit down. It's easy when it's a true story to put it on paper. You know what yeah, I mean? So I yeah. put it in paper. I had a vision of what I want the pictures to look like. And I had yeah. actual pictures of my kids in these places. So now you just got to turn that picture into a cartoon. To, to illustration, yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. That's, yeah. So we was, we was good. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's funny, man, because I've had an idea for years, journaling the writing since like 2016, but I had an idea. Like, I kind of wanted to tell a story through a cartoon lens of like kind of what we went through, like walking to school or like walking in the inner city. But then, but then, but you know, because I, I'm a twin, I had a twin, so I had to protect her every day. So I, I used to get in fights and all these different things would happen just trying to walk to school and walk home. But then like, kind of like, you know, give them superpowers or something like that. <laughs> but, but I just, I just never knew the action step. So seeing you, uh, seeing you, and then you, obviously you telling me you wrote, you wrote it first and you had to find an illustrator. So over the years doing the research and learning, uh, that's definitely something I want to do maybe in like two or three years. <laughs> man, you let me know. I, I'll walk you through as best I can. It's the okay. easiest thing in the world, man. You got a story. Like, just, it's easy. Put it yeah. on paper. Yeah. Have somebody proofread it to make sure your punctuations and you spelling things right. right and all that. Right. Then get it illustrated, man. You know what you want. And then for me, another thing I did, I also didn't tell anybody about the book. The only right. person right. that knew was my wife. Yeah. And I didn't tell her, I didn't tell anybody because you know, you tell somebody they take your you idea. Would never, you would ex- not even <laughs> yeah. that. They'll no. never expect me to write a children's book. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. They're like, you're Jawah Williams from St. Clair, the basketball player. Right. What you, you doing writing 
Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, some certain things you can't tell people, they, they dream killers, you know what I'm, I'm saying? Oh, I'm, I'm like, telling oh, you. it ain't gonna work. I'm telling they you. It ain't gonna or, work and all that. Yeah, or, yeah or, or just the funny, the funny energy, like, oh, how you think you're gonna do that? Or something like that. Yeah. Exactly, so I keep a lot of stuff to myself and then I drop something and people be like, you did that? I'm like, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I, Gotta keep it. I, mean, I can walk in and chew gum. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All at the same time. So last last current event, man. And I know you just talked about the pandemic. How how have grown? Obviously, since we've been on the earth, the world has never ever shut down. We've never walked through anything like this. So how have you grown spiritually, emotionally, physically? You know, first obviously as a husband and a father, but then more so than anything as a black man. As we walk through this coronavirus, as we, as we walk through all these racial injustices, finally starting to come out. Obviously, we're black. We're from the inner city of Cleveland. So we've been dealing with these kind of things our whole life. We had to kind of figure out how to navigate through it. But now it's finally starting to make sense to the world. So what's your take on that? How have you grown during these nine months? Uh, for me, I just, I just, I realized that I know, like you said, I know this is nothing new. Exactly. Like, and a lot of people, in my opinion, they play dumb. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is not too new, too, but exactly. now it's the age of the cell phones and cell phone cameras. Social media. So a lot of things are getting caught. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we knew about this stuff already. You know, mm-hmm. the police, the way they act in our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. We knew this. Like, growing up, we used to run from the police all the time on St. Clair. All we weren't time. running because of what we did. We ran because of what they would say we did. And mm-hmm. we couldn't prove it. It was always mm-hmm. their word against ours, and they would win. Mm-hmm. So like, this is nothing new, you know. And then as far as the pandemic goes, I mean... It's been a, a, a blessing in certain ways because it yeah. slowed life down and made you realize what's most important. Yeah. Um, I actually, I mean, I spent plenty of time with my kids. Like my mm-hmm. twins, they're one now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were born in January uh, 2019. So I got time to be home with them for their birthday and, yeah, all that. you know, just hang out with them. Like I've been yeah. heavy in the house, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And changed my whole workout regimen i'm getting up at 4 45 in the morning getting everything mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. you know 2020 has been it's been weird man it's been a yeah, weird year it's been the weirdest year ever to me <laughs> yeah and then you know i'm still traveling you know i'm in japan right now and yeah. to see how things are are different now even in japan like wearing a mask has always been normal here so mm-hmm. that's why the pen the, the the virus doesn't seem as prevalent here in japan because okay. wearing a virus and uh, I mean, wearing a mask and keeping your hands clean with alcohol pumps and all that stuff, that's been in place forever here okay. in Japan. So okay. a lot of stuff has been contained here, and it's just different times. Like, you know, the, the process I had to go through to be able to fly out of the country was mm-hmm. ahead of Oh, you know oh I know mean? it was, yeah, yeah. So let me let, let me ask you this before we dive into your childhood. Um, waking up, as, a, as obviously, as a husband and a father of four, um, and I know your oldest uh, is getting older. What is, she, what is she, like, eight or nine or ten yeah. now? Okay. 10, 10. 10, yeah. Do you ever, do you ever just as a black man, do you ever feel pressure, you know, like, because obviously just all these things going on, do you ever feel pressure? Like, okay, let me make sure I, I tell my kids everything. And I know they're still young and you have to kind of shield some things from them until they get older as far as being as far and as far as like how we, how we, we were saw from, you know, different races. Has there ever, because I, I don't have any kids yet, but I'm like, I, I gotta be honest on this platform. Like I'm, I'm scared, man. I'm, I'm I'm scared because it's like you just never know what what would happen, right? Because us being black and us, uh, you know, not being able to control the narrative as far as how we're saw. So, have you ever woke up with fear, or are you just kind of trying to just try to be optimistic every day and try to give them as much game as you can and 
tell them and show them, you know, how to move on, on in, in this world? I think the biggest thing is we can't, uh, we can't think our kids don't know what's going on. Our yeah. kids, like my daughter, she's 10, but she knows the world. She's yeah. come to me with questions. I'm like, who told you that? Like, why do you know that already? Yeah. And she's like, I know. Like, she comes to me and tells me, like, um, we had a discussion when she was eight years old. She's like, Dad, most of my friends in school are black. I'm like, all right, cool. She said, they look like me. I was like, all right, cool. Why? Why? She was like, because I don't like, she got her dates mixed up. She's like, I don't, I don't like the way they used to treat uh, black and brown people in the 80s. You know what I mean? Her dates are mixed up. But mm -hmm. I didn't have to teach her this. She knows wow. these things. Wow. Like she's in a school, she's in a school where there's a lot of, there's a melting pot in her school. So she yeah. has Indian kids, Mexican kids, white okay. kids, black kids. Very diverse. But she understands it. Yeah. So kids yeah. don't, it's not like something you can hide from them. They know, they yeah. know what's going on. She talks yeah. to me about politics. It's like, I'm not talking to a 10 year old sometimes when I'm talking to my daughter. Yeah. And my son, uh, my oldest son, he's six. And sometimes I have to, trying to i have to give him the blunt truth a little earlier because he's a right. black he's gonna yeah. be a black man in this world yeah. yeah so i have to give him the early truth like look you can't do what some of these other kids are doing right and even though he's six he looks like he's 10 you know yeah. what i mean yeah, yeah. He, he's going he's gonna go through the same thing i went through you know when mm -hmm. i was 13 people thinking i'm 18 16, 19 17. years old yeah right yeah right. so you gotta like you're gonna have to move a little bit different you know what i mean you have to yeah. be real strategic about what you do who you mm -hmm. hang out with Always. And, um, but it's never a thing of moving in fear. It's just education and, and making sure that I lay the groundwork and lay mm -hmm. the foundation for them to have a better life. Right, right, right. And, and, yeah, and like you said, I can attest to that. The foundation, the foundation is huge because I feel like I had really young parents. My parents had me really young, but they, they were very, very hard on me. And like you said, they laid that foundation. So I kind of knew even growing up in the inner city, even have to, having to walk to school and go through different battles and fights and all those things i knew how to read people i knew who to hang out with i knew you know i, I knew i kind of knew how to navigate through that inner city culture and not and and you know to not get stuck in it if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i feel you i mean we, we walked that path you know yeah. I, mean? I had to <laughs> we grew up on we had a house on eddie road and we had another house on 143rd in st Clair. Mm -hmm. so you know i had to navigate from sometimes getting from 143rd in st Clair to 113th in St. Clair to go to Glenville Ray. Yeah. You know, you walk into two, three different hoods at that point. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And then not everybody, not everybody knows me as like the kid that's gonna grow up to play basketball. So you exactly. kind of gotta move exactly. a little different. Exactly. You I used mean, to take the back route, you know, yeah. going through the factories on my bike. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I can yeah. avoid the dudes yeah. on 125th that didn't know me. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly, exactly. And, that, and, and, and that's the thing about growing up in inner city, you just never know Growing up in that environment, you never know when you would get chose or when you would get tried. And, and me, like I said earlier, I was a twin, so it was it was always nothing could happen, sister. So I was always on guard and no tilt, and kind of like real frigid because I knew if anything happened to her, like it, you know, I it, it would be me. Like my parents would be looking at me, so I, you know, it's, it's crazy just navigating through that. But I'm, I'm glad I did, man. So let, let's let's talk about your childhood. I know you was born in '83. I was born in '89. Talk about the Cleveland culture in the late 80s, early 90s. Did you have any influences or mentors growing up? Just try to walk me through your childhood a little bit. Man, I think growing up, besides my parents, who I looked up to, my older sister, Nashima Hillman, Nashima Anderson, now she married. Um, those were the people I looked up to. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I had some people I seen from a distance. 
Uh, growing up, of course, you had the dope boys. It's kind of like who we idolized growing up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's who mm-hmm. we seen with the flashy cars. Yep. Cars, money. Yep. I wanted a part of that. I wanted to be a part of that at one point. But, um, you know, hats off to some of the dope boys that I grew up with. They pushed me in another direction. Like, mm-hmm. nah, you too. Mm-hmm. They used to tell me, like, you too tall to be out here with us. You're going to get us all caught. <laughs> so they literally would push me in another direction. But, yeah. like, I think one of the a defining moments for me was uh, – Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. I remember playing, we was playing in the driveway on Eddie Road and I seen a white car with a gold emblem. I had never seen this before. Like my dream car was a, a Riviera growing up, a, yeah. Aurora and all that. Yeah. And I see this <laughs> white car with saw. a gold era. Yeah. And I, yeah. they get closer and this is dude in there with a big head. I'm like, hmm. and I realized it's Mike Tyson. Wow. And that day right there kind of changed my life. He like, he rode by, looked at us and just kept driving because he used to spend a lot of time in Cleveland with Don King. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And I was a kid seeing him in the driveway right there kind of triggered something. And it was yeah, like, I can only whatever imagine. car that is, I want that. You yeah. know what I mean? Then it kind of just snowball effect. I just started going after everything and yeah. set my sights high and watching all the Jordan games on WGN Channel 9. All yeah, that. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Same here, man. That, that That's a crazy experience to, to see to see Mike Tyson in, in the same neighborhood that you grew up in. I, like you said, I know that put that brother in your back. So what, let me ask you this, what middle school did you go to? Like what prompted you to go to St. Ed? Um, and Because I know you, like you said, you grew up in the Glenville community and I know and I'm sure everybody wanted you to go to Glenville high school and you know, because you grew up around there and you grew up in the, in the Glenville wreck. So what made you go? And I know you got your sister played at Trinity and then Vanderbilt. So, I'm sure that probably has something to do with it. She went to a Catholic school. So what went into your decision or your parents, you are, your parents always wanted you to go to St. Ed. They wanted me to go, they wanted me outside the neighborhood. Yeah. Like yeah. my mother knew, she, my mother and father, they kind of knew, but they didn't know what I was into. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The best way for them to control, not, not control me, but the best way for them to make sure I stayed on the right path was to send me away. Yeah. And, I, I, it was either Benedictine or St. Ed's, and I go to St. Ed's, and I ran into Steve Logan. You know, he's from 105 in St. Clair, so he's yep. from the same neighborhood. Yeah. I'm like, well, he over here. I'm going to go ahead and go over here, too. But um, going to St. Ed's kind of changed my life for the better because it mm-hmm. took me out of the, the mix of having to be um, – I want. don't get me wrong, I wanted to go to Glenville, hands mm-hmm. down. I told my mother, I can't do this all-boy stuff. Yeah. I need to go to Glenville. Like, I don't care what happened with guys before me. Because, you know, a lot of guys didn't really make it out of Glenville. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be different. Yeah. Like, she's like, no, just go ahead and get on that bus. Take that hour and a half bus ride. Yeah, take that long head. bus ride. Yeah. No, hour and a half. Sometime it was, I take 326 from 125th all the way to West 140th. Man. Like, Nine, it, it 90 minutes that, on the bus. Yeah. yeah. Man. And I, I'm on a bus with the kids going to public school. Yeah. So like, you know what I'm saying? They I'm I'm into my uniform and they looking yeah. at me crazy. I'm like, man. Did you did you is. did you catch any flack just like just like in the neighborhood for, for, for initially going there? Did people always say little smart little remarks or comments to you or people kind of accepted it? No, nah, everybody accepted it. They knew what I was on. Yeah. I think yeah. I think a lot of guys knew what I was on. Like, you know, Rich grew up in our neighborhood too, Rich Paul. Yeah. So yeah. His dad used to own R&J's, a store at 125th, where I used to catch the bus and get okay. off the bus. Okay. So when I used to get off the bus, all the dope boys would be standing out there, and they see me with my uniform and, you know, little jacket and all that. Yeah. Not one smart remark was ever made. They knew what I was on. You yeah. know what I mean? They used to be yeah. like, yo, you got to keep going, shorty. Like, you could do it. Yeah, that respect was there. Yeah, they used to, you know, 
couple extra dollars, give me five dollars so I can have the money for lunch. You know, little stuff like that. Yeah, little stuff like that. Really looking out for me. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 powerful. That's powerful, and that's and that's good that it was like that for you. So talk about once you got to St. Ed's and really just kind of coming into your own, continuing to grow. You started to get a bunch of like uh, you know mail and recruitment from all these big colleges. Just talk about. You know when you really started to come into your own and really start to feel like you know you know that you know that feeling. I didn't get it till tenth grade when you just had that growth spurt and you started getting that 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 mail and the coaches started to come to see you and you really started mm-hmm. to feel like you're coming into your own and your dreams starting to become kind of a reality. Like okay, maybe I probably maybe I can't really go to Division One. You know, on a football or basketball scholarship. Just talk about that a little bit. Well, when I first got the ads, it was a, a culture shock for me. You know, I'm mm-hmm. coming from the hood where everybody lives around me is black. I get yeah. the same as everybody's white. We got four black people in my whole class, like the whole yeah. freshman class. Yeah. And that right there, you know, I ran into some racism and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I put hands on people for their racism and all that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, over time, I got cool. And like, I realized like some of these dudes really don't understand where I come from. So I got mm-hmm. real cool with some of the white guys who were on the wrestling team. Okay. And they used to be like, yo, why I'm going to take you home today? And they used to take me home literally just to see how it was in the neighborhood. Yeah. I used yeah. to take them to open pit. We used to go to open pit and stuff after school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, man? Some of them still go down to open pit to this day. Yeah. They're like, man, I go down there and get a Polish boy. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. just something yeah. new. Yeah. But like, I think everything that switch hit probably my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to ABCD camp, Adidas mm-hmm. All American camp. I get invited. I go up there and have a, have a great showing. Um, it's weird for me because I was more respected around the nation than I was in my own city. Wow. Like, plain dealer and all that stuff. Yeah. It showed me no love. Zero. That's crazy. I wasn't even, I wasn't even one of the best in our area, according to them. Yeah. But I was top 20 in the nation as a sophomore. Like, that don't even make sense, but yeah, that's how it's always been, you know, throughout my career. Like, you know, yeah. I guess I was, you know how you're too close to somebody so you don't see it? Yeah. Apparently yeah, yeah. they didn't see it. And that's what it was. So I just never, I never really cared about uh, Cleveland media or Cleveland height. Yeah, just and then the local. a lot of guys. Yeah, I was, yeah, a lot of guys were local stars. That's what I used to mm-hmm. call them. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, he a local star. Like, and I used to tell people like, yo, he's, he's not that good. He's good <laughs> to y'all. Yeah. You know what I mean? But and, and I couldn't prove it. I just, I just did my own thing, man. That's why yeah. you, nobody ever seen me uh with a big click or anything like that i kind of just stayed under the radar and did my own thing yeah and it's crazy because like i said back in like 2000 2001 i used to go to your games all the time my dad used to always take me to either you or the bronze age games and i was super young but it was just putting a battery in my back because i played football and basketball but it's crazy that the playing dealer wouldn't show you any love because you was you was clearly clearly one of the best out there like and i was only maybe like i can't maybe like 10 or 11 and i and i knew that you know guys dunking on guys running the floor just doing super tangible could shoot you know shoot threes shoot guys had mid-range game uh post moves was kind of more advanced than most guys really had in high school really to be honest so it's like so, if you go back if you go back and look at them old press clippings of best yeah. of the best remember they used to do that in the plain dealer yeah yeah i used to be honorable mention i didn't make it probably until my senior year and at this point i wanted the top recruits in the nation but my mm-hmm. own, like I said, mm-hmm. locally, nobody really gave me the respect I deserve. That's but wild. It didn't McDonald's All-American, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get zero respect. 
zero. But like I said, it was cool because it was they was pumping up local stars. I was I was on something bigger, and I always yeah. knew that. Of course, of course. So what what went into your recruitment process? Who were your like top three, and then what kind of catapulted your decision? You know, obviously after you were at McDonald's of America, what what prompted your decision to go to UNT? Now I know. I'm sure it was a dream of yours, right? Because because the best of the, the best in the world went there, and Michael Jordan. So was that a, was North Carolina always a dream of yours, or like kind of what what went through your decision? Duh, I, man, my my initial, I really wanted to go. First of all, my my final five came down to UNC, Duke, uh, Cincinnati, uh, USC, and Florida. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I added another. Oh, and Maryland was in there too, but um. I wanted to go to Cincinnati. I would have committed to Cincinnati after my oh, yeah. freshman year of high school. Oh, yeah, because your boy went there. Steve Logan went there. Steve Logan was there already. Yeah, and then yeah. Coach Huggins, I had, you know, kept running into him at different events. And he told me, he's like, hey, I need – DeMar Johnson was uh, getting ready to um, vote for the NBA. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, DeMar's leaving. The job is yours. I just need you to come shoot some threes for me, and then you go ahead and leave too. So I was like, sign me up. I'm going yeah. to Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother was like, my mother was like, no, nah, they got That's a zero percent graduation rate. Oh, here we go. Wow. So then, did, did, she didn't. She didn't. She didn't let. She did the middle path, which she didn't let you kind of explain to her any any kind of argument to, to, to her, swear. I tried to explain okay. to her like how to, how it works. Like JUCOs don't count towards the because uh, they had a lot of uh, JUCO transfers. JUCO transfers, yeah. And it didn't count towards the graduation rate. And then she was like, no, nah, I don't think it's the right place for you. You're still kind of close. Yeah, still kind of close. She wanted to be close. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's the only place I would go within Ohio. Like, mm-hmm. Ohio State was completely out of the picture. I wasn't dealing with them at all. Yeah. Um, so then I committed to – I go on an unofficial visit to Maryland, and I commit. They caught mm-hmm. me at the perfect time. You know, I'm coming from St. Ed's, an all-boys school, predominantly white. Yeah. And then I go on my unofficial visit to Maryland, it's – um. It's like Greek week. That that's when so, Maryland was real good, and that's when they was like top five, right? Ron I remember Dixon that. And all those dudes. Yeah, they had a squad. And it's it's Greek week when I get there, so I'm out walking through the yard, and I see you know the deltas and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All I'm the like, five black women. Here. Yeah, I'm like I'm coming here. It's a done deal. Like it's yeah. a wrap. I'm coming here. They took me out in DC, and we go to one of the go go clubs. We're like, oh, it's a done. It's done. I'm coming here. <laughs> but then I started setting my set my recruiting visits. And I go on my official to Carolina. They send me the letter with the address that I need to be picked up at and all this stuff. And the address looked funny. I'm like, this ain't the airport. This ain't uh, Hopkins International. Yeah. And I drove right down the street to Burke Lakefront Airport. You uh-huh. know, they do the air show. Yeah. Private jet was waiting on me. Private jet, North like, Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a little change. So I take the private jet. Um, to Chapel Hill, had a great time, uh, met everybody, and I, you know, I go to a football game. It was a night game. Julius Peppers and those guys are playing at the time. Ron Curry. Oh man, they had. They had I'm walking. I'm, we walk into our seats, and the whole crowd—it's like sixty thousand people—and they just chanting my name. Wow. And I was like, "Yeah, this this is it." I'm like, and, and that's where Ron Curry and Julius Peppers played basketball too. Yeah, they were on the basketball team at that time too, and I was like, "Oh, this is it." Yeah. I called home the next day. I didn't tell the coaching staff. I called home. I said, yeah, I'm coming to Carolina. My mother was like, you sure? I was like, I'm positive. She said, what about Maryland? And I was like, what about them? Like, <laughs> I'm coming to Carolina. That, that, that Navy, yeah, that Navy blue, man. I'm sure you saw, you saw that. And like you said, the private jet. And, and back then, that wasn't really happening. What was that, like 2000? 
Yeah. That was 2001. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the private jets really weren't having That's, I'm sure that was a crazy experience. Yeah, I still keep in touch with the pilot, man, Mr. Billy. That's my guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So talk about, man, your transition going from, you know, obviously McDonald's All-American at St. Ed's and then, you know, going into like a a wildly known legendary university like North Carolina. Kind of walk, walk me through that, that transition. And I'm sure it was probably a little bit easier because you had already had that culture shock from going from the inner city from, you know, K to 8th and then going to St. Ned and getting used mm -hmm. to kind of that that predominantly, predominantly white culture. So talk about your transition from St. Ned to North Carolina. Uh, off the court transition was pretty smooth, man. If anything, mm -hmm. it was it was easy. It was an easy transition because you're around the other basketball players and we all mm -hmm. coming from different places. Mm -hmm. Some of them coming from that same hood background. So we were able to latch on to each other. Like my yeah. roommate was Melvin Scott. He from Baltimore. Jackie Manuel was my other guy. He's from West Palm Beach. Mm -hmm. So we were together every day, 24-7. You know what I mean? So we, we leaned on each other a lot. Mm -hmm. The the biggest transition was probably on the court. Like I'm used to being a man. Yeah. You get to yeah. Carolina, it don't work like that. Like yeah. everybody's the man. Everybody's the man. Right. So we had to figure out how to play together. And then my first year we go eight and twenty and Maryland wins the national championship. Oh uh, so, I know you was like, Oh, did I make the right man, decision? So, like Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I knew I shouldn't have came here and I'm backtracking, <laughs> but I'm like, man, I ain't never been one to run from nothing. Right, right. So we had to stand. We stuck it out, and we built the uh, we built the team back up to where it was supposed to be, and got the mm -hmm. program back on the right, right, the right track. Yeah. So when when did when did you feel like, like you said, you all turned that tidal wave? Obviously, going eight and twenty your freshman year, and then and then did you feel like you all turned it around your sophomore year, or was it or was it more so not to your junior year when you when you all really started to have those winning seasons? It was probably my junior year. Uh, my junior year and my sophomore year, we had an identical record, 19 and 16. Mm -hmm. But the difference was Roy Williams came from Kansas yeah. uh, my junior year. And um, he kind of like, he forced us to play together. Like, mm -hmm. we, it wasn't like we didn't like each other. We just were that talented. Like, yeah, we would just let All that talent go. on the court. Yeah, yeah. It was hard yeah, to balance like, all that talent. Yeah. But then he, he put a game plan together where it was pretty much a just – we did a lot of motion offense where everybody mm -hmm. got involved, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, with the we already had a, a system in place with the with, um, Carolina secondary break, mm -hmm. which those plays are still being run to this day. Nothing's changed, you know, but those little wrinkles in the in the offense to help everybody get involved really helped us a lot, and um, you know, it absolutely led to our national championship, and it led to so many guys from our team playing in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember that 2005 National Championship run. So just, just talk about that year a little bit. I know you averaged, I think, 14 points the whole season, obviously a senior starter, and then you averaged closer to 15 points in the Final Four. Just walk me through that season, what moments stood out to you leading up to the National Championship, and also kind of give me an inside look on the kind of coach that, that Roy Williams is, right? Because basketball is such a smaller – realm sport than football right you got on the nfl team you got 53 guys on a college football team you got closer to 100 but basketball you literally only have 12 guys so it's not too many guys who've had the opportunity to be coached by Roy williams so just give me an inside look on the kind of coach he was the kind of man he was and then whatever to you during that I feel like going through that year we lost four games and the thing that separated us from everybody else is like when we lost those four games we don't feel like anybody ever beat us it was like either we ran out of time or we didn't do what we were supposed to be doing. Mm 
Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. never like, oh, they came in here and smacked us. That never happened. Yeah. And so when that when we going on that type of path, we like, oh man, when we get to the tournament, we gonna run through people. Yeah. Because like, now we we clicking. Like we know yeah. what we know what we're supposed to do. We know where everybody is supposed to be. And and Coach Williams, he kind of listened to what we wanted off the court, which helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. So this is weird. This is crazy. But like I said, some of us are coming from like a hood type background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So at Carolina, they give you the best of the best. So we're eating mm-hmm. at Morton's. We're eating at Roos Chris and stuff like that. These filet mignons and all that. Yeah. And some of the guys are like, man, I'm tired of eating this. Now yeah. you got to remember you from the hood. They like, <laughs> like, how could you ever get tired of eating that? <laughs> exactly. But we go to like, cause we was like, all right, well, what do you guys want to eat? Man, just take us to a sports bar. During the final four, dog, we had a sports bar eating like wings and nachos. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what we did. That's yeah. it made everybody feel comfortable. Yeah. Like he yeah. never really tried to control who we were off the court. Uh, you know, we still did what we needed to do when we came to when we came to practice and we knew how to be presentable in public. Mm-hmm. But off the court, I think that helped us the most. Like just letting us be who we were. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And especially back then, you like you just kind of never knew if that was actually happening because. A lot of a lot of uh you know white coaches on that bigger level in the Big Ten and ACC and SEC they kind of try to control who you are uh off the court and, and I mean off the court or off the field and I experienced that at the University of Iowa but uh, that's dope that he let you all be you all and that that was a com- that combined with obviously you all's relationships that that's yeah he didn't want to like it that was the that was the one good thing about Carolina man it was just like when we go to games yeah you put on your suit and all that stuff. But when you go into class and all that, I mean, do what you want to do. Like, we were still going to jerk. We had the big hats on with the throwbacks and all that stuff. Uh-huh. That was normal everyday wear for us. Yeah. You can't change that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, as long as we come and show up and do our job and go to class and all that type of stuff, right? he had nothing to say to us. That's that. That's dope, man. So when you when you won the NCAA championship, uh, you know, your senior year, was that kind of like a I told y'all moment? Like, you know what I mean? Because obviously, any of your career, like coming in Carolina as an American, then any of your career at Carolina as a as a and as a senior starter, did you did you have or was it kind of like a jovial feeling, like just happy to be you know a champion? Man, it took years for it to actually sink in. Yeah, because everything was still moving so fast. Like yeah, it took me probably almost a few years before I actually went back and watched the game to see what was really going on. Yeah. Like it was so many people like you, you're so focused on the moment and the Mm -hmm. game that Mm -hmm. you don't even notice the crowd. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't notice the crowd. I didn't know Lil Wayne was there. I didn't know Beyonce was there. I didn't know all this stuff until you go back and watch. Like, you know, he was, he was was locked in. (laughs) Yeah. Like you don't know all this stuff. That stuff is completely, you're just oblivious to all that stuff. Right, right. And then, like, moving forward, it wasn't like, I told you so, but it was like, you know, I waited for this moment. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to seize this moment. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, I I get chills, like, because I, I found the intro, like, recently. Okay. Probably, like, during the pandemic, I think I found the, the, the intro, and they're, like, 694 from Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Like, I got goosebumps looking yeah, at that, because yeah, yeah. I remember... Like, that was always my thing. Like, I wanted everybody to know I was from Cleveland, Ohio. Like, right, right. don't make a mistake and say Lakewood, St. Network. No, I'm from right. Cleveland, Ohio. I went to Lakewood, St. Network. Exactly. So that was a big thing for me. And I just remember, like, coming home and dudes in the hood, like, man, you gave people in the hood a reason to smile. Like, I'm that meant a lot you. to me. 
Exactly. That meant yeah. a lot to me, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I was uh I didn't graduate high school till 2007. But yeah, just seeing your seeing that trajectory, obviously from the outside looking in, because we didn't meet till uh like 2007 or something like that. But going from going to your games at St. Ed <laughs> when I was like 10 to seeing you matriculate and to do your thing in North Carolina and then to see you win the championship. And I'm older now, I'm probably like 15, 16, and I'm becoming a uh, a top recruit on the football side. And to see you win, I was like, like you said, like you just so happy to see that, especially and guys from Cleveland as well, because Cleveland is not when you go to different cities like Atlanta and Miami and and uh, LA, Cleveland is not that big. Like Cleveland is kind of small when you compare it to other cities. So to see guys yeah, from Cleveland right. doing it, like it's like, yeah, it put a battery in your back to be to you know you want to do big things as well. And it was weird because when I came back. Like from college and I would come back to the neighborhood, people didn't know. Like they knew me from what they seen on TV, but they didn't understand, like, oh, you still live on Eddie Road. Like, yeah, like yeah. Oh, you still walking through the hood, like walking your dog through the hood. It just yeah. never registered to people. Like, you know, there was a couple of times where I'm walking down the street, car pull over and dudes jump out the car. And I'm like, here we go. It's about to be something. Oh, they man. like, yo, you the dude from TV. I'm like, yeah, I live around the corner. Like, what you mean? Like, they don't put two and two together. Yeah. So then that meant a lot, though, because, you know, like I said, a lot of guys told me they, I gave them a reason to smile. I'd be an open pit and people <laughs> staring at me and they like, I'm like, yeah, that, yeah. that was me. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> and it's crazy because, like you said, a lot of people didn't know that you was coming back. And I, I'm not going to hold you. I can't lie. I was surprised, like, when you – I think that was about 2006. You came – we was uh, having an open gym, like, all the basketball players. Uh, I think this was, like, during the spring. So, I would, like, do football training right after school. And then after that, I would go to open gym because I played football and basketball. And then when you came to open gym with us, that's when we met. And I ended up being on your team. We, we ran, like, 10 straight. We was beating everybody. But I just remember I was – it was like a – it was like a star moment for me because I remember seeing you at, at such a young age. And I just didn't know, like you said, that you were still back. And you literally ran open gym with us. Like, like uh, uh, man, you know, it's crazy because, like, people, like, older people, some people hated that I came back to the wreck all the time. That's crazy. Like, that was what I did. That was, that was what I knew. Like, I didn't have any, you know, celebrity friends or NBA friends that I hung out with. Like, this is yeah. what I knew. I used to come down there. Play pickup with show with E. Yeah, yeah. They, it was all of us. That's what we did. That's what we did. Yeah. That's all playing. Yep. JM, all of them. They used to call me, why are we hooping today? And I would show up. Like people, I don't know why people would be so shocked. I'm like, yo, these are the dudes I grew up with. These yeah. are the guys I'm most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And it wasn't, I wasn't going nowhere else to hoop. So I was yeah, like, exactly. I was gonna go, you know, where I was, this is where I learned. You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. So I, I also knew that me coming back meant a lot to the kids in the neighborhood. You man, know I'm I mean? telling you, like we, all the kids that played that day, that day in, the, in that open gym, it was, it was a bunch of us. Like, of course, of course I kept it together. So like we hooping, so I'm a competitor. So, you know, I'm hooping, but in my head, I'm, I'm going crazy in my head. Like, man, I'm, I'm hooping with, who is Jawad? Like, well, and we played this eight time. I couldn't wait to get home and tell my dad, like, yo, I was on Jawad too. I, we talked about it for like two hours that night. Like, man, I was balling. He gave me some compliments, man. I told you I was nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, like you don't know, you like it's it's like it's like what you said. That really, I'm man, I'm thirty, I'm almost thirty two, and I still remember that day like it was yesterday. I still remember that day that you came in, I was on your team, and all that. And a lot of a lot of guys my age who whoever was a part of that open gym, they still remember that kind of stuff, man. So that's why oh, yeah, it's so fair. See, that mean a lot to me because you know that was my whole goal. Like even when I made the Cavs team, 
Yeah. And I used to come down there like, after practice with the Cavs. I used to come down to the rec and play shooting games with the kids all the time. Yeah. And like guys just be like, yo, why are you down here? Like, it's not safe. I'm like, what you mean it's not safe? Like the Cavs security is like, hey, we, do we need to send somebody down there with you? Yeah. I'm like, man, what I look like walking into my own neighborhood with security. Like, I'm not doing that. Like, right. I'm going down there and if anything, we're, everybody we're gonna in the neighborhood is gonna protect me. Yeah, yeah. they're yeah. gonna protect me. You know what I'm saying? I'm the I'm the guy. Like, you're not gonna nobody's gonna do anything to me. I'm good. Yeah. So I would come yeah. down there with JM, play shooting games with the kids all day, and be mm-hmm. down there for two hours. Once mm-hmm. again, I didn't have like the close NBA friends. Yeah. You know, this is what I knew. This is what I was most comfortable with. So yeah. I would go back to my, my roots and just be chilling. Yeah, man. And, and like you said, that was always a goal of yours. And I, and I think you reached that, man, because so many guys, man, you know, that I'm still cool with, that's closer to my age, we, that played football and basketball, that was a part of that, that those open gyms, we, everybody still remember that. Every Everybody still remember that day. Like, it was, it was, it was, it was a great day, man. And, like you said, my nephew, my nephew was around too, so I used to come down there and watch him play. Yeah. So then I met his friends. So that's yeah. when I started, you know, Frank Clark and those guys. You know, yeah. They yep, were Frank way Clark. younger than me. Yeah. But I used to come around, so I knew them when they were young kids. And it's Chris Worley. I remember these guys, and now they're growing up. Yeah. And I'm seeing them like on the big stage, and that 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 means a lot to me. Like y'all remember right. that little kid? Like you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's a little <laughs> bad kid from the wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, and that's and like you said, man, the, those are the memories. And those are the times that you can't really get back, you know, seeing someone like you actually make it and then coming back. That always puts a battery in in every kid's back to really try to be the, their best self and really try to achieve and do, you know, whatever, you know, whatever they set their mind to. Yeah, That's dope, man, because I, I always pray that it would be bigger than me. So Exactly, exactly. I'm glad it worked out. Definitely, man. So talk about, man, the 2005 NFL draft. You coming, I mean, not NFL, NBA draft. You coming off as, obviously as a, as a champion, as a world NCAA champion. I read an article where the everyone in our lineup like got drafted. So like walk walk me through walk me through that process. Uh, and then walk through 2005 NBA draft. Was it a good day? Was it a bad day? Did you get down at all seeing all your guys get drafted? And then you know who? What kind of teams were you hearing from? Just walk me through that a little bit, man. So. I had a small gathering. I drove up from North Carolina because I, I moved to North Carolina. And I drove up from North Carolina to Cleveland mm-hmm. and uh, got a hotel room. I had a small gathering, just my family. And um, I'm superstitious. I've been carrying this Bible since I, since 2005. I've been carrying the same Bible. It was mm-hmm. when I got reborn and everything, whatever. And I get all the way to the hotel in Cleveland. I'm going through my bag. I can't find my Bible. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, that ain't a good sign. Yeah. Whatever, like I'm trying to push that aside. Like, all right, everything cool. Yeah. The draft starts. Now I'm. I heard late. I heard late first, early second tops. That's where mm-hmm. I'm going. Mm-hmm. So we get through the first round. I'm like, I ain't hear my name called. All right. So we get to the 35th pick, and I remember I dozed off. My mother like, wake up. They gonna call your name. And I was like, something ain't right. Yeah. And then the draft kept going. Then you know the best available comes across the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. My name is on there, and I still don't hear my name. Yeah. Draft ends, and I was like, a shock. Like, I ain't hear my name called. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And then Jay Billis gets on TV, and I remember him saying, like, you know, it's shocking to not hear Jawad Williams' name called. And right. I'm sitting there with my close friend. I remember my nephew, my nephew Zai, he crying crazy. Like, 
he just don't understand it. He crying, like my my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, she's upset. Yeah. You know, my parents probably a little upset. Mm-hmm. And I never batted an eye. They was like, you're not mad about this? I was like, for what? I was like, yeah. I've been proving people wrong my whole life. I'll do it again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they was like, I couldn't be mad. Like, I, I didn't have time to be mad. Yeah. Next day, back in the gym. I came down to the wreck and got some work in. Mm-hmm. And then went back to Carolina, continued to work. And then I got an invite to come to a summer league with Golden State. I get there. Then I started to learn the politics of the NBA. Okay. You know, they got their draft picks already. Monte Ellis was the point guard. Okay. They got some two foreigners on their team. So these guys is running the show. I'm barely playing. I finally mm-hmm. get to play, score 18. I'm like, all right, we're good. I'm going to get a contract. Nothing. Then I go to vet camp in San Antonio. Um, one of the last cut in San Antonio. You know, I'm, I'm having a decent camp playing with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and these guys. Yeah. And then they was like, maybe you should go overseas. And I was like, you know what? Maybe you're right. Because I was, I was mad. So I was yeah. like, I'm gone. Yeah. So I went to Spain. And then I went to Spain. They came back playing the – I came back, signed another training camp deal with the Clippers. Okay. Have an unbelievable preseason. Preseason, yeah. Cooking in preseason. I'm like, oh, I'm good. I got a deal coming. Yeah. Nope. They cut me. Politics. I was, the, the, it was, uh, the deadline was three o'clock for, for, the, for the final roster to be made. They laying out the jerseys to go take the media pictures. My jersey gets laid out because I just got done getting treatment. I said, oh, I'm good. Oh, yeah, you made the team. 2.30. 230 oh, they came man. and got me and released me. Oh. And then I'm telling guys like Sam Cassell was on the team, Elton Brand. Yeah. I remember Corey that Clippers team. Yeah. And I'm telling these dudes like, yo, I just got released. I'm gonna holler at y'all later. And they don't believe me. Like they think it's a joke. I'm like, no, for real. I just got released. I'm about to go. So then they were like, the Clippers are like, go down to our G League team, our D League team at the time, and we're gonna call you back up. Yeah. All right, cool. I go down there. Cool. Oh, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I saw you were like D League player of the year or something that year. Yeah, yeah I, I was cooking. Like, I went down there and then Sean Livingston blows out his knee. Mm-hmm. So now they got to take a point guard instead. So I was like, oh my goodness. So I ended up staying there in the whole year. Then I was like, all right, I give up on the NBA. I'm going, uh, then I signed to go to Japan. Mm-hmm. So I do that whole year in Japan, lead the league in scoring and all that. And craziest thing I get a call from the Cavs to come work out I just so happened to be in the city it was, it, was, it was just a random like you hadn't been hearing anything from your agent they just randomly hit you up they they hit my agent up and was like uh we want Jawad to come to a workout wow I said no I was like no like I'm not oh, yeah, you, was t- you were tired of the politics you was just tired yeah of it. I was like no yeah. I'm not I'm not doing it they begged me to come I go on the second call I go no the third call I finally say yes I go to the workout and they got me in there with no disrespect to these guys, but these guys I didn't view mm-hmm. as being on my level. So I was like, if this is the light they view me in, then I'm wasting my time. Right. Ain't no, right. it was one assistant coach in there and they tell my agent, Oh, we recording everything. I was like, yeah, right. Like, you ain't recording no, yeah. no workouts of us just doing pin downs and two on two. Like, you ain't recording that. Like, get out of here. So I leave. Right. Now I go back in the hood. I'm on Eddie road at this time, like just chilling. Mm-hmm. My agent called. Hey, they want you to come up for mini camp. I was like, Nah, man, I ain't wasting my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They asked me. My agent said, Jawad, you gotta go. They really want you. I was like, No, they just wasted my time with this last workout. I'm not going back up there. So then the third time they called, I said, Let me call you back. I called my grandmother. I said, Grandma, the cash want me to come work out for him again. What should I do? 
Mm-hmm. And she was like, baby, I want you to come home. So I was like, call my agent back, like tell him I'm on my way. Now, I had been kicking it in the hood all day, chilling. Yeah. yeah. I just jump in the car, drive to the workout, to their mini camp, destroy their mini camp, mm-hmm. and then go to summer league and all that, blah, 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 blah. And that turned into a three-year deal. Wow. But I had no intentions on coming back. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that's a crazy story. And and sometimes things randomly like that happen, you know, when you, you know, with the NBA and just professional sports in general, you just never know, you know, when that opportunity will come. So once, once, the, once, you, once you got that three-year deal, just walk me through the, like, what was the vibration? Like, I remember, uh, what, 2009, I think, the Cavs had like the best record in the in the NBA. We was cooking every we we all thought we all thought we was to the finals. We was gonna get our first chip. I think that's when Brown Brown was still pretty young, 25, 26, but he was like becoming one of the best in the NBA. So just just walk me through some 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 of those experiences. Well, like my first my my years wasn't all of those three years. They wasn't guaranteed, so I had to make the team every year. But it was kind of yeah. like it was a shoe in. I just had to handle my part. So right. right. But when I get there, like, like you said, I known Brian for so long. Mm-hmm. So when I'm I'm seeing him there, I see how everybody else is viewing him, mm-hmm. and that that was more amazing than the person that he had become and the player that he has become, because I see how everybody is like, yo, that's LeBron. I'm like, him, dude from Anchor. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying like, dude, I've been knowing since like '98. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I just I just didn't view him in the same light as everybody did, but you know I knew him, so yeah. we kind of had a rapport, and then like. Um, during workouts and things like that, he used to like, he was a big influence on probably me making a team because he used to cheer for me. Like, yeah, he'd be sitting on the sideline, like, yeah, why cook him? They don't know who you are, blah, blah, blah. And I, like, yeah, and I would yeah. just go at people. Like, mm-hmm, he cheering mm-hmm. me on the whole time. Yeah. So, season start, I really don't play a lot. Like, they, like you said, that first year, we went 62 games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that year, uh, who do we have? It was Brian, Ben Wallace, Big Z, mm-hmm. Mo, Booby. We, we had a good squad. Right. But then that second year, we got we got better. Like, we got Shaq, Antoine yep. Jameson, yeah, I remember Mario Moon. Yep. Like, we had a squad. I'm like, oh, are we rolling? Mm-hmm. And I get my big break. Everybody gets hurt. Uh, yeah, Delante, Delante got hurt. Jamario got hurt. I think Booby uh, got hurt too, because that's when you got your first start. Yeah, and then yeah. the crazy thing—the first time I sub in the game, I'm kind of like I'm watching the game, but I'm daydreaming. And Mike, Mike Brown, he calling my name. He like, "Wow, let's go!" So I'm like, "He ain't talking to me." Like, wow, let's go! <laughs> so I yeah. sub in, and I I, I remember because I was like, I had ten points, five rebounds, five assists. Yeah, and the biggest thing about that night was my first NBA bucket. No, my that was the year before. But that night when I finally got to play, he kind of like we're going on a West Coast trip. I need you to be ready. I was like, all right, cool. And then I run into everybody on that trip. I run into Melo, Brandon Roy, all the all the ballers. Uh, yeah, Kobe. Like I got to guard all these dudes. And we, we played D Wade before we went out there. And I, I was holding my own. I was averaging like thirteen and five and four assists. Like, and and, and you have been doing that. You did that in college. Like, that's that's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> Just being who I am. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, Mike yeah. Brown was like, shoot threes and ISO people. That's what mm-hmm. we want from you. All right, cool. And this is this is before the 
stretch four era of basketball where everybody's just shooting threes now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that run right there was great. But the best part about it was my teammates, man. We had a great crew. Like, everybody yeah. was cool, man. Like, yeah. Everybody, everybody seems so together. Office. That togetherness. Yeah. Yeah. And all my boys from other teams, you just be like, yo, whatever you living in Cleveland ain't real life in the NBA, so don't get used to it. All right, they used to always tell me that. They were yeah. like, yo, because once you get, like, all them dudes got money, and this the hats off to Brian. Brian was the man, but he kept everybody together. Like, yeah. nobody, nobody, like, went off on their own. Brian mm -hmm. kept everybody together. We, we went out to eat together. We partied together, everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was, that was the culture he created. And and that's so and that that that's why it's so crazy because even at, as young as he was, he was probably what, like twenty five. He was doing that, and now he's still doing that day, like keeping keeping teams together, keeping guys together. Guys always talk about that. I gotta ask you this, man. God bless, God bless the dead. God bless that legend. You know, I still can't believe it. You know what happened to Kobe, man? Did any you you guard Kobe Bryant, man? Did anything stand out? Obviously, we know Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. Whatever your ranking is, I guess it just depends on your era. <laughs> like, did any, did, did any moment stand out guarding him, man? Because I know he modeled his game so much, uh, you know, off of Michael Jordan. No, before guarding him, though, I got to tell you this story. I'm walking out on the court. I'm getting ready to work out. Him and Brian talking. And I'm walking out. And he walk up to me like, yo, what's up, what? I'm like, first of all, I'm like, oh, Kobe know me. Kobe. <laughs> you know and he's like, he like, congratulations. He's like, congratulations, man, you made it. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's what's up. Yeah. I go work out. I'm like, yo, Kobe know me. Yeah. So then we, <laughs> I'm guarding them. We playing. Uh, this is my second year. I'm guarding them. I sub in the game. And you ever seen that 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 video where Brian talk about Kobe blowing his and blow, doing like this? Yeah. I yeah. sub in the game and I see Kobe turn around. He looked at me. He was like, "Hey, hey." I mean, he about to go ISO, break off the triangle. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh, he ain't gonna do me like that. So I yeah, press yeah. all up on him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Asked at me, gave me a J. I'm like, oh, yeah, here you go. So then <laughs> next possession, we come down. I'm super aggressive now. I'm pushing him. I'm almost following him. Yeah. He hit yeah. me with the fadeaway. Oh. Hit me again. I'm like, man, I can't go out like this. So then I got a little <laughs> back cut laid up. By the time I laid it up, my sub was already at the table. <laughs> like, that dude was so skilled, man. Wasn't nothing yeah. you can do about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his skill level was just immaculate. But, but, but seeing it, but seeing it, face up and trying to guard him like I know that was like just like a it, it, it probably seemed so effortless yeah I wanted to prove something so I'm trying to be super aggressive and it just didn't matter you know what I'm saying <laughs> it didn't matter yeah. like, he, was, he was just that talented dude right 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 so um, other than that moment did any other moment stand out to you in 2009 I know you know everybody expected the Cavs to at least get to the finals because you know and guys still talk about this I see analysts talk about it all the time that everyone thought that year it would be the Cavs and the Lakers in the finals and Brown would finally be able to go against Kobe in the finals. But, uh, you know, you all couldn't get past Orlando, uh, you know, when they had Dwight Howard and those guys. So, like, uh, did any other moments set out to you during that season? Uh, not really, man. You know, the problem was we lost to Orlando my first year and then the second year we lost to Boston. Okay. But the reason we lost to Boston is because we built the team – to beat Orlando and Orlando gets knocked out by Boston and then Boston right. we catch Boston and we ain't got the personnel for them. And that yeah, and uh what 2010, that Boston team was was Paul Pierce and KG and uh Ray Allen, right? Yep, we didn't have the personnel for that. We had we had got big. Yeah, had, that's why we got Shaq so Shaq, we can yeah. 
neutralized Dwight Howard, but then we didn't right. face them. So now we yeah. just we out there yeah. and they running all over the place and they are playing a little smaller lineup and that yeah. just took us out of everything, man. Well, yeah. What what was it like playing against the first big three? You know, with with Ray Allen and KG. I mean, I, and everyone knows, you know, KG is a legend. Uh, I, like obviously, I watch all the players tribune, the knuckleheads, and uh, all the smoke. I watch all the basketball uh, podcasts because you know basketball was always my second love. I used to always play, so I, I still like being in it. But they always say like KG like talked the most trash. Like, was he the biggest oh, yeah. trash talker you ever saw? <laughs> yeah, like. I think it was a preseason game when I first had my encounter with him. Like we on the free throw line and I got my hand on him. He knocked my hand down, <laughs> put my hand on him again. He knocked my hand down again. He like trying to like hurt, like hurt my wrist. Yeah. So the third day I was like, yo, big fella, you hit my arm again. It's going to be a misunderstanding in here. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, he kind of like chilled out a little bit. Cause at that point, you know, I'm, I'm a guy trying to make the team, but I ain't never been a sucker. Like, of like course. Home, like this, that's kind of what helped me get on the Cavs roster because I wasn't backing down from nobody. Yeah, yeah, that just that that Cleveland inner city dog mentality. Like, yeah, we we always gonna compete. Like there were times I used to call, I used to tell my wife, well, she, you know, I tell my wife like, hey, they might send me home today because you know I almost got into a fight with so and so. Yeah, yeah. She, like, and I used to be like, I didn't care because that that was that's what that was my thing. Like, right. I just never been a sucker, so you wasn't gonna treat me like that, but. That big three team was tough, man. Like Ray Allen and he coming off pin downs and all that. Ray stuff. Allen was then, deadly, deadly from the. Man. And then I used to be so fascinated with him because he always had the freshest Jays on. Always, <laughs> the exclusive Jays that nobody else had. Yeah, I used to, I, one game I asked him, like, "Yo, let me get them off of you." He's like, "No, nah, I only got one pair." I'm like, "Come on, man." <laughs> was it the Was it the green and white twelves? <laughs> it was the 11s. It was the gold 11s with the green sole. Oh. Man, yeah, that's them, them, them one-on-one. <laughs> yeah, I tried to get them off him. He wasn't yeah. having it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I already know. But that's, man, That those are such great experiences, man. So talk about after your Cavs run, you know, I think I, I think you, you know, you go back overseas. And obviously, like you say, still to this day, you're still playing. So let's talk about from, what was that, 2011 to now. I mean, it's almost 2021. So you 10 years in playing playing overseas, a question that I wanted to ask you, because you've literally been all around the world. What country stands out to you? Like, what, what was the best What was the best place you ever played and why, as far as overseas? Uh, see, that's tough, man. Like, being over, every country has something different, offers something different. Like, Japan, mm -hmm. the culture is based on uh, respect for others. So I love to hear. Um, you know, it's a real tech friendly type place. You know, yeah. you got robots everywhere and all that. And I wanted my kids to indulge in this. That's of why course. I decided to come back to Japan. Of course. So my kids actually speak a little bit of Japanese. Wow. Um, uh, let me see. Where else? Turkey. Turkey okay. was Turkey was dope. Turkey's like a place that nobody really talks about. But Istanbul, Turkey, and places like that are dope, man. And then uh, let me see where else. Israel's always fun. Mm -hmm. Paris. I lived in Paris for three years. Yeah, yeah. Lived in, yeah. Like living in Paris, like I could see the Eiffel Tower from my kitchen. Like it was. Oh dope. Like, man. So my wife loved <laughs> Wait, that too. Yeah, you know, waking man? up every day seeing the Eiffel Tower, like in the morning. Yeah, That's... man. Then we used to we spent a lot of time just hanging out in, in France because the way our schedule was, like we had plenty of free time. Yeah. But like every country offers something different, man. But I think Japan has been one of the best places for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was the first I was the first player to play in Japan and then go to the NBA. Yeah. Then I yeah. became the first player to go from Japan to the NBA and then come back to Japan. And uh, my first year back, I won two titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first two years, I won two titles. I would have had three, but Corona canceled last season. So yeah, yeah. What so, uh, it's been it's been dope. Which which championship would you say is most valuable? Because I, you know, I saw that you know you won several championships overseas, but then you also are NCAA champion champion as well. Uh, which would you? Which championship would you say holds the most value or the most weight? You know, in your eyes, or 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 do they all hold the same kind of value? No, uh, NCAA title for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, with leagues, when you win a, a championship in a league, it's kind of like another team the next year is going to win it and another it continues to go on yeah but in college you got four years to reach that one goal Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know i reached that goal like not many guys can say they won a final college game and i did yeah yeah. so you know we still had those discussions with guys you know it's a couple like ryan kelly over here from duke Mm -hmm. and uh, james michael mcadoo from carolina on his team so we end up having those discussions that we got something that they can't take from us exactly we got national championships you can't go back and get that like if you lose the championship in i don't know in spain you can always sign to another team and try to win it yeah there's no you got four years to get it accomplished in the ncaa and that's why it holds so much weight to guys yeah i man i i can only imagine like like you said you, you you're in elite company uh so yeah just just uh two more questions who get give me your top three like may, maybe top three or top five players that you played against and just whether it was high school college pro give me give me your top three to five guys that you had to that you had to face that you still have in your conscious mind i was like man that dude was that dude was tough to guard or that dude was the truth lebron kobe mellow lebron kobe Mello. and in no particular order <laughs> no, honestly, the hardest to guard of that bunch is probably Melo. That's crazy. That's so crazy because, like, I feel like the narrative now is everyone keeps talking about why is it is Carmelo misunderstood? Why why, why doesn't he get the respect, you know, that he deserves? Which 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 show? Yes, because it's today's game has changed. You know, Melo yeah. was brought up in the era like uh, like an MJ type era where. It was a lot of isolations and all that stuff. Yeah. And Melo was 6'8", 260. He was a bully. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. He'd catch it on the block. He could put you in the realm. He could dunk. Mm-hmm. He had a jab series that was crazy. He could shoot. His mid-range was he crazy, do, too. He could do everything. He could yeah. do everything. Yeah. And now the game has turned into one guy handling the ball for, you know, 18 seconds out of 24-second shot clock. Mm-hmm. And if he don't score, he passing it to another guy for three. The mm-hmm. game has changed, you know. What I'm saying? That's why Melo. They all they tried to phase Melo out, but they tried Mello to. Melo is so valuable because he he brings something to the table that a lot of guys lack, and that's just an all around game, an inside outside game. Right. Like think about it. If you think about some of the teams, how many guys do you see work that mid range area? It doesn't happen anymore. You know right, what I mean? Right, now it's right. either three or a layup. And yeah, you're right. You're right. That's why Melo doesn't get respected. I mean, yeah. And then we all know what Brown about. He just. Right. If he decide he gonna go for fifty, ain't nothing you can do about it. We know yeah. what Kobe about, and you know you you said three, but I gotta throw KD in there somewhere because okay, yeah, buddy, buddy listed at six nine, but he every bit of seven foot. Right, they, yeah, they, I think they, I thought they listed at like six eleven, but I know he's seven foot. He got a seven three wingspan, but he can man, shoot. The dude, he can shoot like dude he's unreal, man. <laughs> like, ain't nothing. 
that you could be in his face, but he's seven feet tall. Like, yeah. what you gonna do about that? Yeah, so, yeah. Those those guys right there are tough, man. Stand out, stand out to you. Um, does it does it ever? I mean, obviously we 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 were from Cleveland. We're Ohio boys. Does it ever bug you out that you know one of the top three, top four considered basketball players is literally from where we're from? Obviously, not exactly Cleveland, but. I mean, what, we get to Akron in 20 minutes, you're 20, 25 yeah. minutes on the freeway. So does that ever kind of bug you out that 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 someone like that or that stature is essentially from where we're from or kind of like grew up how we grew up and kind of had those same kind of ethos and ethics to, to themselves? Uh, no, nah, it don't really surprise me, man. I think what's more surprising is when I hear other people talk about him in a certain light. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because Brian is the most down-to-earth superstar I've ever encountered. You know what I mean? Like, he – he takes care of people. You know what I mean? He takes care of everybody. He makes sure everybody around him eats yeah. one way or another. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, like, to have somebody of that stature be from the area, it means a lot. And it shows that, you know, anybody can do it. Like, mm-hmm. if you put in the work, if you make the sacrifices, uh, you can be on that level too one day. Or if exactly. not, on his level, a little greater. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, 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 same way. I think uh, – <laughs> I think I always looked at it weirdly because I, obviously I have the same name and he's, he's only like four years older than me. So people always ask like, is your parents named after LeBron James? And there's all these, all these weird questions, but I've always, I've always felt like I had a battery in my back. Even, I mean, even to this day, I'm done playing and I'm into a lot of other things, but just being from that era, being from that area and, uh, you know, just being a hard, hard nosed blue collar worker, I've always had a battery in my back and anything that I've done to always put on, just because of my name and you know where I'm from. So it's cool to get your perspective on that. Um, last question, bro. What would you say is Jawah Williams' after effect right through? I mean, you, I got 20 plus years of sports experience. You probably closer to 30. Um, what would you say is your after effect or aftershock through the wins and the losses and the injuries at St. Ed and at North Carolina, then the Cavs and just this whole journey overseas? What were some lessons, you know, that you learned that you ingratiating to your kids now? And the you know, the kids when you go back to Cleveland and you playing in those open gyms and those shoot arounds, what what were some of those lessons that you learned that you would take with you that you know that hold the most value? Uh I think one, the biggest one might be dealing with adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it may like people always get the perception that being a professional athlete is just peaches and cream. You know that's not the case. No, that's not like, the case. You don't understand, like there's billions of people around the world gunning for your spot. Whether you play in the NBA, overseas, no matter where you're at, there are people who, billions of people around the world literally fighting for a couple thousand jobs. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, like, it's just dealing with adversity. Like, you're dealing with the, the heartbreak of getting released from a team, dealing with yeah. the heartbreak of uh, an injury or having to battle back from an injury. Like, I tore my Achilles when I was 34. 34, 35 years old. Mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to bounce back from that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're that old, you don't bounce back. They, everybody right. told me, you'll be out a year. Some yeah. people completely wrote me off, like, you know, you're too old to bounce back from that. I was back yeah. on the court hooping, like, full go in seven months. Wow. From you know off, off, so off of Achilles, that's tough. Yeah. Completely yeah. ruptured my Achilles and was back seven months. So, like, dealing with adversity, you know, my kids, they watched me rehab through it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I came home. They see me have surgery. They see me not be able to walk. They see me go to the gym and have to teach myself how to walk again during rehab. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All that type of stuff. 
But like, yeah. it's just being able to handle adversity, man. That goes back to the upbringing in the neighborhood. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you walk outside your door, you don't know what's gonna happen. You but whatever it happen. is, you, you got to deal with it. You know right. what I mean? You got to deal with it. You got to you got to thug your way through, and you'll be all right. The best you, know you can. Yeah. Yeah. It, it always turns out. It always turns out to be good, man. Only exactly. time every only only time it gets bad is when you fold, and that just ain't in me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's it's crazy man even like you say even with you through your whole journey you're 16 uh, you know four years at north carolina you're 16 playing professional basketball all the different experiences you had all the championships all the wins losses injuries all the, your different experiences it's wild that even after all that it always goes back to that core value of that that Cleveland mentality, never giving up, you know, fall down eight times, fall, fall down seven times, get up eight. Like you say, never folding and just continuing to to push and pound the pavement, like and, and, until you and getting where you want to get. And then when you get there, going even harder. It's, it's crazy. After all those years, it still goes back to that. Yeah, man. I mean, that like I mean, you know, you know what it's like when you walk when you live on St. Clair. Everybody yeah. in Cleveland knows what it's like on St. Clair. That's why yeah. they tell people don't go down there. <laughs> like yeah, you get the option of not going down there. I lived there, you know what I'm saying. Right. So I had to deal with it firsthand account. Right. So like all that stuff, it just made me who I am. You know, mm -hmm. I'm I'm mm -hmm. proud to be from Cleveland. Uh, I'm even more proud to be from St. Clair. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying. I, and I wear that, I, I wear that with pride. You know what I mean. And make sure everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't care who has a problem with it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean. Like, you know, it, it is what it is. I know what type of players. I know what type of people are bred in tough situations. And I, mm -hmm. and I have a mm -hmm. big respect for anybody that's doing anything, mm -hmm. whether it be sports, business, or anything that's coming from my neighborhood. If I mm -hmm. can ever help and lift them up, I do so. Yeah, that, definitely, definitely, man. Well, that's, a, that's actually all I have, man. Uh, I appreciate you carving out the time. Like we talked about earlier, 2020 has been a super, super weird year. So I've been trying to pride myself on giving guys flowers while, while they're still here. This is kind of a, a moment that I never thought would happen, but I just want to tell you face up, Matt, that I'm obviously super proud, super, super lucky to even know you have some, some kind of relationship, but super proud of all the accomplishments, all the accolades, man. Keep going, keep putting on for Cleveland. Like me seeing you at such a young age, put a battery in my back to, to get to the level of, you know, playing in the Big Ten and doing different things, all the different things that I've done. So it's it's a full circle moment for me to be able to tell you that man to man face to face because I <laughs> I never you could have told me five years ago that I would start a podcast and start telling these stories but the passion just came the passion for storytelling just kind of came out of nowhere and I just been kind of just living and walking in it but I wanted to tell you that face to face man to man because we don't know what will happen you know this, this year has been weird so I hope you and I appreciate it man yeah. I appreciate it and I, I shot you a message before I told you I appreciate what you're doing by providing this platform. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, certain guys need their story told, man. Exactly, exactly. And you never know who's watching. Like, you know, so I appreciate that, man. It means a lot. And uh, keep going. If I can ever be of any assistance, just hit me up and let me know, though. Okay, yeah, appreciate it. And uh, once we I gotta once get you started I, on your book, we got to get started. I, on your book, I was just about to say that, man. When I, uh, I already, got, I've already written a few rough drafts, but I'm still trying to figure out what kind of su superpowers. I could give me or my sister because I already got like the bad stuff done. Cause you know, we know about that. So I was able to write that down quick, uh, but I'm still thinking, I'm still crafting it, but I'm, I'll definitely reach out to you once I'm done and try to get like a publisher or someone to proofread it first and then the illustrations and all that. So I appreciate, I appreciate that game. Oh you yeah. Right now. Yeah. So you still publish. So you own everything. Yeah. Okay. Ownership is key though. I'm yeah. going to tell you that, and, you know, I learned that through Nipsey. 
what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I listen yeah. To, I listen to Nipsey Hussle. Me too. Man, I listen to him every day, man, trying to catch that ownership game. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. Imagine signing. I, quick story. I had a um, publishing deal. I turned down. Okay. Like, people, I had a deal and I just didn't like it. Because, like, yeah. once you sign that publishing deal, they, they own the rights to your book. They can change I, the characters and everything. I was about to say, yeah, because I haven't done any research on that. I was about to say, do they own a percentage or they own it outright, 100%? They own, they own it. And then wow. whatever they sell, they give you a kickback off your work. Wow. Nah, I need all mine. My kids yeah. need mine. Like, my kids need theirs. That's I, about to say, I about to say, yeah, they need theirs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's them. That's their money. That's this their story. So okay. Yeah, ain't nobody. Yeah, ownership, dog. We're talking about it. Now oh yeah. I feel you in all the blanks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about it. Hey, I appreciate you calling out the time, man. We'll definitely be in touch. Yes, sir. Appreciate all you, right. man. Thanks. All right, man. Gotta uh, just take a couple deep breaths. You are stay. Uh, <laughs> give me a couple seconds. You know, um, you know, six months ago when I started this this podcast, never in my dreams would I have thought that I would be able to get Jawad on. I know he's still actively playing, still, you know, it was it's midnight there now in Japan, but 16 16 year veteran, played with the cast for three years. Uh, obviously, if you listen to the whole conversation, you know, played against the Kobe Bryant and obviously was teammates with LeBron James and played against the the young, the the young Melo and KD and just all these different experiences, literally from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I hope you, I really, really, truly hope you all, you all have listened to the entire episode. This was a super, super powerful episode. And again, just, it was so cool to get an inside look on Jawad's story, right? The whole ethos of me starting this podcast, what's it tell? our stories for viewers and listeners and fans to get an inside look on why we are as athletes or former athletes the way that we are. And this episode was no different. So again, the Patreon account is coming, the t-shirts and the t-shirts and I'll have like a few stickers and coffee mugs and things of that nature. Some After Effect podcast merch is coming. It's in production. Just be patient with us as we close here. And uh, yeah, we'll continue to tell these stories. So until episode 37, peace.